<sighs> Just one day without sleep reduces your reaction speed, weakens your analytical skills, and causes <gasps> stress. After three days without sleep, a person can feel irritable and their cognitive abilities decrease. A week without sleep can result in serious <clears throat> problems with your entire body. You no longer feel the difference between reality and imagination and have absolutely no idea what's happening around you. But in January of 1964, a young guy managed to stay awake for more than 11 days. And at the end of this period, he felt quite normal. This is the longest a person went without sleep. This event was even included in the Guinness Book of Records. It also allowed scientists to learn a lot about hmm. the structure of the human brain. It started at the end of December of 1963. Two school students, 17-year-old Randy Gardner and his friend, started to think about an idea for a school science project. The friends quickly decided they would experiment with sleep. The goal was to stay awake for as long as possible and break the previous record. It was set by a DJ who managed to work for 260 hours straight. This is almost a full 11 days. Loud music and constant movement kept the DJ awake. But for Randy, it would be difficult to keep himself busy, especially at night. Initially, the topic of the project was the influence of insomnia on all kinds of people's abilities. But the guys quickly realized they didn't have the right equipment for a full-fledged study. That's why they decided to find out how sleep deprivation affects cognitive abilities, as well as basketball skills. Randy was supposed to stay active, and his friend tried to do everything to keep him awake. In the beginning, everything went well. Randy's friend kept a diary to record the smallest changes in Randy's body. The first two days were quite simple for Randy. He was constantly on his feet and didn't go to bed. He felt pleasant excitement, had fun, and did sports. Throughout all that time, his friend made notes in the diary. But on the third day, the friend found himself sleeping against the wall. He had dozed off while writing notes. Luckily, Randy managed to stay awake. The guys quickly realized they couldn't cope with this without additional help. They called a third friend and wrote an article for a San Diego newspaper. William Demet from Stanford University saw the article and got interested hmm. in this experiment. At that time, Demet was probably the only person in the world who studied the phenomenon of sleep. He immediately packed a suitcase and went to visit Randy. That's how four people got involved in the experiment. They tested Randy's sense of taste, hearing, and sense of smell. After three days, Ooh. his cognitive and sensory abilities began to decline. The following morning, Randy oh. felt nauseous. He walked around the house and found some citrus fruit. The smell of tangerines and oranges helped him get rid of the unpleasant sensations. The friends only slept one at a time. They never let Randy get bored. If he closed his eyes for even a second, sleep would instantly engulf him. One day, they played basketball for hours on end, and the next day, they went bowling. Once night fell, things got worse. At night, no one knew what to do. It was boring and difficult to keep Randy awake. Surprisingly, even after a week without sleep, Randy showed excellent results in basketball. He played even better than his friends. Also, his speech seemed clear and logical. By this time, most American newspapers had been writing about the experiment. Randy had become a celebrity, and it helped him stay awake. Other scientists came to observe the experiment. 
With the help of math exercises, they tested Randy's intellectual abilities, and that's where he showed poor results. He was solving a math problem when he forgot what was happening and what he was doing. The researchers also scanned the guy's brain and recorded its activity. Eventually, the experiment was nearing the end. In a few hours, Randy was going to break the previous record. He hadn't slept for almost 11 days. The scientists decided to take Randy to a special hospital to see how his brain would behave during sleep. On January 8, 1964, at 2 a.m., the new record was set. Randy hadn't slept for 264 hours. Finally, he could go to bed. The researchers attached electrodes to his head to observe his brain activity. Randy fell into a deep sleep. Several hours passed. He woke up, went to the bathroom, then went back to bed. It lasted eight hours, 10 hours. Randy woke up only at the beginning of the 15th hour of sleep and just went to school. Everyone was shocked. It seemed this tricky experiment had no negative consequences. Randy continued to study as before, played basketball, and spent time with his friends. Meanwhile, scientists were studying the results of their research. It turned out that throughout all this time, Randy's brain kept napping. This meant that different parts of his brain slept one by one. When the guy played basketball, his analytical abilities were off. When he was solving math problems, the part of the brain responsible for reactions got turned off. In other words, one part of the brain had a little rest, and then it woke up, and another part of the brain had a nap. There are lots of famous mysteries that you can explain now if you carefully study the details. The tragedy of the Titanic, for example. Anyone can recreate a picture of that night and build a map of those terrible events with all the information available online now. You can also explain what's going on in the Bermuda Triangle. Spoiler alert, nothing mysterious about it. Missing trains, time-traveling planes, strange black holes in the desert, spooky sounds, visual anomalies. You may not find the answers to all these riddles right away, but if you apply some critical thinking and a whole lot of dedication, you can eventually gain a better, more practical understanding of what exactly is going on. So, I'm now going to tell you about the disappearance of Martha Wright. But this story is not like all the others I just mentioned. This mysterious and creepy puzzle is almost impossible to solve. There are no leads, no clues, no theories that make any sense of it. This is one of those cases that can really make you feel clueless. Pun intended. But regardless, I'll still try my best to explain it to you. So, let's look at this story from the very beginning and try not to miss even the tiniest details. The year is 1975. Jackson Wright and his wife Martha Wright are going by car from New Jersey to New York. It's a little hot inside the cabin, so Jackson turns on his AC. The road they're on leads them into the Lincoln Tunnel. They're driving in there, slowing down a bit. After a few minutes, Jackson starts to wipe the windshield, holding his hand on the wheel. Some condensation has accumulated on the glass because of the unstable conditioner. The rear window is also slightly fogged up, so Jackson slows down and then stops the car. There are no other vehicles in the tunnel. Jackson takes two rags out of the glove compartment. He gives one of them to Martha, 
and asks her to wipe the rear window. His wife is moving into the backseat to remove the condensation. She doesn't leave the car. Jackson wipes the front window for a few seconds, turns to Martha, and can't find her. She's vanished. All the doors are closed. There is only one car in the tunnel. Jackson's. At first, he thinks it's some kind of a joke. He looks carefully at the back seats and out of the windows. Martha, where are you? He asks in fear in his voice. He opens the door with his hands trembling. Martha! Jackson screams. His voice echoes through the entire dark tunnel. Martha Wright has just literally vanished into thin air. It's a bit creepy, isn't it? Poor Martha. And poor Jackson. At first glance, some might say that the real reason for Martha's disappearance is her husband, and that he made the whole story up as an excuse. We don't know what kind of relationship they were in. Maybe they had a fight or planned a divorce. Yes, it would be easy to blame the husband. But you don't have enough evidence to support that conclusion. Immediately after the disappearance, Jackson contacted the police. An investigation began. Detectives interviewed people passing by the tunnel that day. They carefully studied all the streets, alleys, and even the nearest basements. Of course, they didn't ignore the possibility that Jackson was guilty, but they couldn't find any evidence to that effect either. It almost seemed like Martha didn't exist at all. Jackson loved his wife. He couldn't get over the fact that no one could explain her disappearance. The police certainly couldn't find her. Jackson drove through that tunnel many times, hoping that one day, in the light of his headlights, the silhouette of his missing wife would appear. Are you getting nervous? Well, you need to beat that fear if you want to figure things out. You need to assess the situation with a clear mind. Okay, so. It was 1975. There were no phones or cameras. There was one car in a dark tunnel. I'm sure there are some rooms and long corridors that connect the Lincoln Tunnel to the sewer system or the subway. So I'm thinking, what if someone took Martha Wright out of her car? What if it was mole people? You've probably heard of them. People that live in the underground labyrinths of the New York subway. There are a lot of rumors about them. The story goes that, for some reason, they refused to live like ordinary citizens of the city and descended into its dungeons. They have no contact with sunlight at all. They can see in the dark. Their diet consists of rats and trash. They can quickly crawl on all fours and even climb walls. Their sense of smell is developed, and they can sense an uninvited guest from afar. Sometimes, they get out of their tunnels at night to gather provisions or food. What if, on that terrible day in 1975, the mole people crept up to the car unnoticed, quietly opened the door, grabbed Martha, and dragged her into the kingdom of darkness? Jackson might not have noticed it. Sounds compelling, right? Well, fortunately, all these stories about mole people are fictional. There are people who live in the underground tunnel systems of major cities, but they don't look like moles, and they eat normal food. In other words, they're just people trying to survive. 
there are many articles on the internet describing their real life. They come down to live in the tunnels for various reasons. The most common story is that for one reason or another, they couldn't make it in the city. For example, one guy lost his job and had a fight with his wife and got injured, so everyone abandoned him and his only option was to migrate down below. There was one story of one woman who tried to hide from some bad people on those underground labyrinths. Hundreds and even thousands of people live in environments like these, each for their own reasons. And believe me, their way of life is not as terrible as it may seem. Many people in these tunnels have electrical appliances, internet access, water, and heating. Inside many of these communities, it is forbidden to steal, harm anybody, or behave rudely or obscenely. People here try to help each other. During the day, they can earn money by washing cars, or handing out bottles, or at the laundry. At night, they return back to the tunnels. Lots of these people just couldn't integrate into society. Some people are happier there because they don't have to pay taxes and rent. They don't have to follow the rules and pretend to be someone they aren't. Many of them are polite, smart, and well-educated. Often they are friends with many street artists and filmmakers. It's a unique lifestyle, all on its own, with its own communities. Now, you know your odds of getting struck by lightning are 530,000 to what? You already knew that, right? The chances that you will win the lottery at least once in your life are 500,000 to 1. The possibility of winning the lottery twice is almost zero. Now, this incredible story may seem like fiction since its events seem so unreal. It's unlikely that any director would want to make a film about this because the audience wouldn't believe it. You can easily find evidence on the internet if you don't believe it either. So, here we are in Australia in 1998. Meet Bill Morgan. He lives on the outskirts of the country in a trailer park. Bill works as a truck driver, so he gets behind the wheel of his car and goes off to work. During the ride, he feels unwell. Bill stops the car and loses consciousness. Somebody notices him and calls an ambulance. They take him to the hospital. Doctors immediately determine that Bill has had a heart attack. They give him the necessary treatment with medications. But Bill's condition worsens because of an allergic reaction. His heart stops. From a medical point of view, if it doesn't beat for 7 minutes, it means that a human has passed away. Bill's heart hasn't been working for about 14 minutes. It seems there's no chance, but doctors continue to fight for his life. And then a miracle happens. Bill comes to life. The heart is beating again, but the patient's brain doesn't show signs of life. Bill is in a deep coma. A few days have passed. Doctors understand that Bill has a risk of remaining in a vegetative state for the rest of his life. Even if he regains consciousness, his brain will still be damaged. Twelve days have passed. The doctors offer Bill's family to disconnect him from the life support machine, but they refuse to do it. At this challenging moment, the family meets a specialist from another hospital. He tells them about some experimental treatments that might help. They have no guarantees that Bill will survive, but at least they can try. The family agrees and transports Bill to another hospital. 
After being treated with the new medication, Bill spends another 15 days in a coma. Then, one day, he comes to his senses and goes on the mend. What happened to him is what doctors call a medical miracle, but real wonders are waiting for him ahead. He returned to his trailer park on Melbourne's outskirts and continued living there with his girlfriend Linda. Twelve months have passed. Bill works as a driver again. He proposed to his girlfriend and is preparing for the wedding. He gets into the truck and goes to the city on business. On the way, he stops by a store and buys a lottery ticket. He scrapes off the protective layer and realizes he's just won a Toyota Corolla, which costs about 30000 Australian dollars. Wow! Bill can't believe his eyes. Considering Bill had health problems after a heart attack and couldn't work much, the new car was a great gift. A few days later, a local TV channel contacts him. Producers want to make a report about Bill. They were amazed not because Bill got a lucky lottery ticket, but because he came out of a coma before that. And so, reporters come to him, take a short interview, and then go with him to the city in the new car. The director wants Bill to buy a lottery ticket and erase it on camera so that later, during the editing of these shots, the announcer tells Bill's story. So, Bill buys the ticket, goes to the table, wipes the protective layer with a coin. His eyes widen. He takes the ticket and reads it several times. I just won $250,000, he says, and doesn't believe it. The cameraman thinks Bill is joking, but he looks pretty serious. This is not a joke, he says. He shows the ticket. Yes, it's true. Bill won the lottery for the second time and did it in front of the cameras. You can easily find the video on the internet and see his reaction to the event. Bill calls his girlfriend and tells her the good news. With this money, he finally moves out of the trailer and buys a real house. Life is getting better. Bill has his real estate, a car, and a beautiful wife. He regularly buys lottery tickets, but wins nothing. At least, that's what he says. It's winter, 1980. We're in the small town of Langby. 19-year-old Jean Hilliard is driving home after meeting with a friend. She takes a shortcut and turns into an icy, slippery road. In the dark, she loses control of the rear-wheel drive car. The vehicle crashes into a ditch. Emergency lights, snowfall, night, and a hard frost. Jean gets out of the vehicle. She's wearing only a light winter coat, mittens, and cowboy boots. The air temperature is much lower than in a freezer. Jean is sure that her friend lives nearby, so she goes that way. She climbs a high hill and realizes she's taken the wrong route. It seems she's gotten lost. The girl wanders a couple more miles and notices her other friend's house in the distance. Freezing, she walks there. Then everything turns black. Jean loses consciousness. The next morning, rancher Wally Nelson wakes up in a great mood. It's the holiday season. There's a winter fairy tale outside the window. He leaves his house, 
and notices the body of Jean Hilliard lying just a few feet from his porch. Wally approaches the girl, shakes her, and is horrified. Her body is stiff and cold like frozen wood. Her eyes are open and don't move. Her hair is frozen. She just doesn't look alive. But Wally sees that she's still breathing. Jean has managed to survive. Wally wants to put her in his car to bring her to the doctor. But the girl's body doesn't bend and can't fit into the auto. It feels like a statue. He takes a bigger car and rushes to the hospital as fast as possible. The doctors take Jean, but they don't think she has any chance to make it. Her hand is so hard and frozen that no needle can penetrate it. A low temperature, glassy eyes, and muscles as hard as stone are all the results of emergency mode. Her body has directed all the blood to the vital organs to ensure their functioning. That's why other parts of her body look so lifeless, and her skin and muscles don't react to anything. The doctors decide to put heating pads on the girl to warm her up. Her family hopes for her recovery, but right now, all they can do is just wait. Frostbite is so dangerous because all that frozen liquid begins to expand. Fill a small bottle with water and put it in the freezer for a few hours. Then take it out and you'll see that the bottle seems to have expanded or even cracked because of the increased volume of the liquid. The same thing happens inside our bodies. We consist of almost 70% water. When it freezes, its particles turn into ice crystals and tear cell membranes. Ice fragments can stretch and destroy tissue. This is called frostbite. Also, our body can slow down all internal processes in extreme cold conditions to save strength and energy. The heart makes fewer beats, and the lungs stop consuming lots of oxygen. Metabolism slows down. It happened with Jean, and perhaps it is what saved her life that day. She was lying in the snow in severe frost for about 6 hours. But why didn't the ice particles start destroying her cell membranes? How did her body withstand such damage and manage to survive? Back at the hospital, doctors are happy to watch Jean get better. Warm blood spreads through the frozen vessels and brings her body back to life. Surprisingly, ice crystals haven't damaged her muscles and skin. A few hours later, the girl regains consciousness. By noon, she starts talking. Jean doesn't know what happened. She remembers walking to her friend's house and then waking up in the hospital. What worries her most right now is that her father's car is somewhere in a ditch. As it turns out, the girl fell down and crawled on all fours to Wally Nelson's house. She doesn't remember it, but apparently, her brain activated the survival instinct that night. Unfortunately, she didn't manage to crawl the last few feet. Jean passed out at the door and stayed there for six hours. Doctors examine the girl and understand that she's completely healthy. Soon, she's discharged from the hospital. That's it for today. So hey, if you pacified your curiosity, then give the video a like and share it with your friends. Or if you want more, just click on these videos and stay on the bright side.